Hello and once again welcome to our online service of praise and thanksgiving. May what we sing and speak with our lips, believe in our hearts and practice in our daily lives. And our opening prayer. We are here to bring our offering of praise to the one who made us and the one who calls us. We are here to bring our offering of prayer to the one who loves us and the one who hears us. We are here to bring the offering of our lives to the one who saves us and brings us together. For the fruits of all creation are super opening hymn. And now our adoration. We will bring to you our praise this and every day, in sacred places and in working places, in the songs we sing and the whispers of our heart. For you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in mercy, abounding in love. You have blessed us through our lives, and we will bring to you our praise this and every day. And the collet for the 15th of August, the 11th Sunday after Trinity. O God, you declare your mighty power most chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant to us such a measure of your grace that we, running the way of your commandments, may receive your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, 
now and forever. Amen. And now we bring ourselves to the mercy of God and open our hearts to him. When our hearts are fixed on earthly things and our minds distracted from the eternal, remind us of Solomon, who, when asked what he desired, did not choose earthly wealth or place of honour, but wisdom, to discern right from wrong. Forgive us, Lord, when we misuse the freedom you have given us, confusing the wisdom of this world with the truth of your own. Grant us discernment to know the difference and trust in you alone. And our first reading is the epistle, taken from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4. It's read for us now by Jill Stobart from East Hartree. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a child, and if a child, then also an heir, through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Read for us by Michelle Day of North Whitcomb. Now our talk, which continues on from our last praise service. Margaret Barker has developed an approach to biblical studies known as temple theology. Margaret read theology at the University of Cambridge and went on to pursue her research independently. She has so far written 17 books which form a sequence, later volumes building on her earlier conclusions. This week she looks at the origin of wine in our Eucharist. By the time we get to the end of this little session we'll see that Jesus is using another exclusively high priestly rite. Now this shouldn't surprise us because um, in Hebrews we get, you know, for we have a great high priest, Jesus the great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, and those of you who know Genesis will know that Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. So there are all sorts of indications as to why what Jesus did with the wine and the fact that he chose the wine got something to do with high priesthood. Now, all the accounts of the Last Supper link the wine to the covenant and to blood. I'm going to use Matthew's account this evening. He says, um, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the... Now, my translation says forgiveness of sins, but the, the Greek word is aphesis, the putting away of sins. None of the other accounts has that definition of which covenant we're talking about. The other accounts say blood of the covenant, but Matthew adds poured out for many for the aphesis of sins. Why does Matthew add this clarification? Well, it's generally agreed that Matthew's gospel records the memories of, and so is written to show the concerns of, a group of Hebrew 
or Jewish Christians. And Matthew has to define which covenant Jesus meant at the Last Supper. Because in the Old Testament, there are many different covenants. And so if we want to get behind the roots of this wine symbolism, we have to look at some of these covenants and ask ourselves which covenant was Jesus renewing at the Last Supper. Then there is the covenant that is mentioned in Jeremiah. A very easy one to remember, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. And this certainly is part of the background to the New Testament because this is the background to the Sermon on the Mount. Jeremiah 31, 31. Um, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, which they broke. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I'll put my law within them and write it upon their hearts, etc. And that underlies Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you have been told you must not kill, but I tell you, you mustn't even have awful thoughts. So this is the law written in the heart. But when you go on, you find that Jeremiah then refers to the order of nature. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars, all these things. And Jeremiah seems to be rooting this idea of the steadfastness of the Lord, not in history, not in a promise to Moses or Abraham or David, but actually in the order of creation. Now we need to go back to just an almost a passing reference in Genesis chapter 9, which is the end of the Noah story. And when Noah has offered a sacrifice, you then have these words of the Lord, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will look upon it and remember, and this is the name, the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. This is the sign, the rainbow, is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh, all life. Covenant of peace was the same setup as the everlasting covenant, and it is based on something which my Bible translates as steadfast love. So the Christians looked at what had been done on the Day of Atonement, and they said, oh yeah, that was a kind of a dummy run. That was a foreshadowing, that was a preparation. Now, it's not been done with a substitute. Our high priest didn't take a goat's blood 
as a substitute. And then it goes on, for if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer, that's another thing they used, sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. He renews the covenant. And it's not the Moses covenant. It's not the Abraham or the David. It's that one that goes right back to Adam that's entrusted to the high priest with the everlasting covenant, covenant of peace. And it's renewed each year and now has been done once for all by this curious ritual of the Lord giving his own life to renew and restore the creation. If we go back now to those words in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's expanded version, if you like, of the words of Jesus, clarifying which covenant we're talking about, because his Jewish Christian community would have said, now, which, which covenant are we talking about? And so Matthew says, drink it all of you, the wine. This is my blood of the covenant. Remember the high priest offered his own blood, but the goat was a substitute, which is poured out for many, Remember, when he finished the sacrifice, he poured out his blood under the great altar, poured out for many for the taking away of sins, the aphesis. So what underlies the words of institution, according to Matthew, is this great high priestly covenant. It's taken up by implication in Acts chapter 3, absolutely specifically in Hebrews chapter 9, that the covenant underlying the Eucharist is the great covenant, the eternal covenant, the one we have hinted at that goes back to Adam. And it's based on chesed, loving kindness, and knowledge of God. And it's not just a renewal for the individual or for human society. It's actually the renewal of the whole creation. Now, we are all being challenged now, certainly those of us who preach, to say something about creation, which is the Christian word for the environment, because basically we've messed it up. And people, I go around to various places talking about environment theology, and the first thing I say is, let's change the title. It's got to be creation theology. And people say, well, where do we start? And the answer is, you start here. These are such familiar words, and when you unpack them with people, and it doesn't take very long to do, what we are actually doing is committing ourselves to this great process of renewal and recreation. Now I'm going to finish with St. Paul. Romans chapter 8, um, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then he goes on to say, verse 19, Romans 8, 19, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay 
and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. Paul is saying we as Christians are the new sons of God. If we are led by the Spirit, we are the new sons of God. A question that I sometimes put to charismatic groups, spirit-led churches that I find rather noisy, but there we are. I say, what, what is the first sign, according to the New Testament, of a group that is led by the Spirit? And the answer is you're committed to restoring the environment. And not one of them comes up with that answer. And yet that's what St Paul says. That was the wine of the Eucharist. And our grateful thanks to Margaret Barker for a most interesting talk. And now our next hymn, Day by Day, sung by the choir of St Martin in the Fields, London. When the journey is long and we hunger and thirst, bread of life, you sustain us. When the road is hard and our bodies are weak, bread of life, you heal us. When our spirits are low and we can't carry on, bread of life, you revive us. When we offer our hands in service and love, bread of life, you bless us. When the challenge is great and the workers are few, Bread of life, you empower us. When the victory is won and we see your face, bread of life, you will rejoice with us. Thank you for feeding us in so many ways. And now we bring our own personal concerns to God, whether it be about those people we know in trouble, places around the world and things which we hold dear.
And now we say together the family prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. And a couple of notices. If you're listening to this before 10 o'clock on Sunday the 15th of August, we're all invited to attend the annual parochial church meeting at St Lawrence after the service. You've probably received the reports and accounts already via email. Next Sunday at St Lawrence, Mary Cookson will be leading us in morning prayer and it'll be the liturgy from Linda's Farm. So that's Sunday, 22nd of August at 10.30 St Lawrence. And now our final hymn. Let us go forth and tell. And finally, we say together the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. So let us go forth in peace. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>